Well, greetings one and greetings all and welcome to Journey to the Stage. As always, our theme song is Arise and Shine by my good friend Chris Taylor. Chris is a visual and musical artist from San Antonio, and you can check out his songs and his art at ChrisTaylorWorld.com. So in mere moments, we're going to start our conversation with my very special guest today. But before we do, if you would consider sharing this with your friends or subscribing or following wherever you tune in and leaving a kind review, because every time you do, an angel earns his wings. So thank you. So ensconced in the artist throne today is the one and only John Schlitt. John has one of the most instantly recognizable voices that I've ever heard. He's got four Grammys on his shelf, along with 10 Dove Awards, several gold albums. John was inducted into the Gospel Music Hall of Fame when Petra was inducted, also inducted into the Hard Rock Cafe, which was the first for a Christian band. John is also a solo artist. He's a vocalist for the Union of Sinners and Saints, the Jay Secular Band, and of course, the Mighty Voice of Petra. John is a really busy guy. so. <laughs> For someone whose ears and heart have been filled with John's voice for 37 years now, it's an enormous honor for me to welcome to Journey to the Stage, John Schlitt. John, I'm so glad you're here. Welcome, brother. Thank you, Brian. It's, it's a pleasure to be here, my friend. Oh, thank you. How are you and Dorla doing these days? You know what? We're doing real good. Um, I'm here in uh, Nashville, still, uh, enjoying the weather, uh, getting ready for uh uh, the Petra tour, the, the anniversary tour coming up yeah. uh, in May, uh, the beginning of May and then sort of off and on through the rest of this year and, and actually next year too. So that's something we can talk about. And of course, J-Band is yeah. always amazing and the Union Citizens and Saints and I have a solo career too. So yeah, <laughs> so I, if you've got questions, I've got, I hopefully you got answers. Brian, I don't know how you do it all. I'm kind of envious of your energy. So, you know, this podcast is is really all about the journey, not just where my guests are right now and where they are today, but really how they got there. So we're going to play a great song from your latest solo album. We're going to talk about Petra's 50th anniversary compilation release, the concerts that you guys have coming up. But I want to flip a few pages back uh, in, in your own story. So you come from Lincoln, Illinois. Tell us what childhood was like for John. For me, okay, I came from a little bitty town. Actually, Lincoln was where I was born, uh, but I was raised in an even smaller town called Mount Pulaski, which is a uh, uh, total population of 1,700, and that was called that was counting the dogs and cats. <laughs> and uh, so it was, it was, you know, it. I guess back then I hated it because it was everybody knew what you're doing. And then, then of course, in turn, your parents knew. So you could never get away with anything. And, but looking back on it now, it was a beautiful place to live, beautiful place to be raised. And, but you know what, even that little town, I, I started my own band when I was 13, uh, just because uh, my best friend took, started learning guitars. So I wanted to learn one too. Nice. And then when we learned three chords. We, I went in and started uh, playing all the music that you play with three chords. And there was a lot of it back then. (laughs) So nobody else would sing. So I had to sing for the band. And uh, it was, it was a, 
just that's sort of how it all started. Um, was into uh, athletics, uh, uh, just and then uh, always knew I'd be going to college. My dad graduated as a civil engineer, so I was going to be. Uh, no, he graduated as a mechanical engineer. I thought he graduated as a civil engineer, so that's what I graduated as, and I gotcha. came proudly in with my diploma. Says, "Okay, Dad, I'm a civil engineer." He goes, "That's nice." I says, "He says, well, I'm a mechanical engineer, so I guess we cover." I said, "You got to be kidding me!" <laughs> and so, you know, I spent four years going with the wrong uh, d- discipline, but it was it was useful for a little bit. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Well, and so your your first band it was. Vinegar Hills Hometown Band. Do I have that right? You do. You've done your homework, my friend. It's Vinegar Hills Hometown Band, something different. Oh, okay. Okay. Yes, right. I couldn't tell if something different was the name of a, maybe an album. No, actually, actually, something different was the name of the band. But because we were from Mount Pulaski, the the nickname for Mount Pulaski was Vinegar Hill. So Vinegar Hills Hometown Band, something different. I see. So, you know, there's, there's obviously, you know, we'll, we'll talk more about Petra going on this 50th anniversary tour. Has there ever been any talk about getting that old band back together and hitting the road? <laughs> yeah, actually. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, they tried to once, you know, oh, really? uh, there, there was a major uh, anniversary for the town. And my friend, the one that uh, learned guitar while I was learning, he called me up and says, John, we're going to put the command together. I said, no, we're not. <laughs> uh, no, no, we're not. I don't have time right, to learn right. all the old songs again. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, so I sort of, the band went together without me. I And I don't even feel bad about it. I just just didn't yeah. want to learn all those songs again. And even just though they were three chords, yeah. Playing a, tent, playing a tent on the square. No, thank you. <laughs> I hear you. So, you know, going back to, to your childhood home was uh, – you know, what kind of music were your parents listening to? Some of those albums and songs I know that I heard when I was a kid have really, really stuck with me. You know, for you, what was that like? You know what? My mom, my mom and dad never listened to music. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, I was the one who brought music into the okay. into the uh, fold, and uh, I always like I always liked rock and roll. I mean, mm-hmm. I I like music that had a lot of singers in it. The yeah. Beach Boys. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the first record I ever bought, believe it or not, was, yeah, it was the Beach Boys, Little Deuce Coop. And then um, the artists that were happening at the time, of, mm-hmm. not an Elvis fan, never yeah. really was much of an Elvis fan, just more groups. And yeah. uh, uh, and I sort of went in that direction. I would have my, you know, my record player, my stereo record player and listen to music at night before I went to bed and... Uh, um, just always enjoyed that kind of style. And then when yeah. the Beatles showed up, it was like, oh, I'm I'm a Beatle fanatic, and uh, yeah, had every one of their records. And uh, uh, just I said, if they can do it, I can do it. So, <laughs> and I saw I saw the uh, you know the possibilities, and uh, it was just fun. It was just fun to mm-hmm. be able to get with a bunch of friends that could play music and and create songs that were you know copy songs at the time and. Right. Have them try to sound as much like what you heard on the records as possible. You know, just a high school thing that was fun. Yeah. Well, you you really were coming of age in a, in a period where, you know, rock was going full throttle. I mean, it was such, yes. I think, one of the richest yep. periods of history in American music. Um, so, the, you know, it's not surprising that some of those great bands 
from the 60s and 70s really captured you and helped form your musical taste. And oh, um, absolutely. Yeah. I was, uh, you know, I was very blessed. I actually did a lot of learning. If I was going to learn from someone, you know, from others, which I tried not to, but I think, you know, just copying all those tunes in the 60s, mm-hmm. 60s and early 70s, um, it, it really opened my eyes to a lot of opportunity. But then when we started doing our own stuff, I stopped listening to, I stopped listening to other people's music because I didn't want to be a, a copycat. I didn't want to sound oh, wow. like somebody. Mm-hmm. I, I wanted to sound like, even back then, I wanted to sound like what God had for me. Yeah. And I wasn't yeah. a Christian at the time, but right. it's sort of that, that they, whatever is natural for me, that's what I wanted to do. And, uh, but I did get to do a lot of touring with some of the greats. Yeah. And I will say that I listened to them, uh, you know, every chance I got live. And I, cause I wanted, I, I was playing on the same stage as them and I wanted to be as good. Right. I didn't want to be, you know, I didn't want to represent my band in a lesser way than their lead singer did for them. Right. So it was always a major competition for me to carry my load. Mm-hmm. So I got to, you know, I toured a lot with Journey and Foreigner and, and Sticks and shoot, Ario Speedwagon and us, we, we grew up in the same town. We used to play bars to get, you know, play, uh, be competitive in the bar circuit there. You've got to be kidding me. So I, so Ario Speedwagon just came, I grew up a huge Ario Speedwagon fan. I had mm-hmm. High Infidelity on eight track. And so <laughs> they came to town five or six months ago and I mm-hmm. saw them for the first time and actually got to meet Kevin Cronin. And we've actually, I've been working with his PR guy. We're trying to settle on some dates, but is really neat. His, he's got twin sons and they opened for them and they they were really, really good. Um, so a huge Aria Speedwagon fan. In fact, I'm actually going to see journey. My wife and I on Sunday night, they're coming to town here. So I love Journey. I'm a huge Journey fan. So it's funny you talk yeah, about I, these I was, bands. Yeah, that are still doing when, we, when we toured with the, I, <laughs> I was part, I, I toured with Journey before Steve ever joined the band. Oh, really? So, so Greg Rowley was still fact, doing vocals. Yeah. So I was, uh, I actually played at the same show when Steve was trying out for the band in, in Quad me. Cities in Illinois. Wow. And That's I'm, some rock and, history right there. <laughs> oh, it's so cool. You know, I, and at the time I wasn't too impressed Oh, probably a month later when they started, you know, they were working on their Wheels in the Sky album. Yeah. And they were starting to do some of those songs that he was part of. Right. And I, I, I'm i going, oh, my gosh, was yes. I wrong. This guy is going <laughs> to be a superstar. It was great. I, I loved watching it. So Steve's always been one of my heroes. And, yeah. And, uh, you know, all the bands I mentioned, their singers were, were always amazing. Kevin and I, Kevin, he's a good guy, but I, I was never that, I, I never wanted to sound that much like Kevin. So, right. Well, yeah, he has kind of a, his, his own, his own. Yeah, style he's got his own well. thing, but I just, uh, he sure did a great job for the band and has, and still is, represents yeah. uh, Ario great. So uh, I'm glad you're able to hear him. Yeah. In fact, so interestingly, I know you and John Elefante are, are really good friends. So mm-hmm. Ario Speedwagon's guitarist right now, Dave Amato played yeah. with John in Mastodon and uh, you know, so there's so interesting how these musical connections. We also work. think background on beyond belief. Oh, Dave on Amato, our album, really? Beyond belief album. And I think uh, the next one after that, no doubt. Yeah. David was a, uh, is a great singer and John and He's Dina were always too. Wow. 
Oh, yeah. Oh, gosh, yes. And would always use them as a, you know, if he needed background vocalists for uh, studio work, he'd probably bring him in. And I was always go, that's so cool. Ario Speedway guitar player playing for us. I, I love that. That's really neat. So you go to school, you study engineering. Tell me about that conversation you had with your parents when you said, you know, I'm, I'm not going to pursue engineering. I want to be a rock star. You know, I want to be a singer. <laughs> what was that conversation like around the dinner table? Well, I, I tried it twice. Mm-hmm. The first time I wanted to quit college and go in, this was like 1968 and 69. Mm-hmm. And I says, I'm going to quit school and I'm going to, we're going to go full time with this band. It's going to make it. And my dad said, no, you're not. And my <laughs> mom was, my mom was a professional dancer when she was younger. Oh, That's okay. actually how she met my dad. Wow. And she's going, well, you know, John's really good. I think it might, if just for a couple of years and that, you know, and dad goes, nope. <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna get your degree and then you do what you want. So, my dad and mom were always amazing to me, and I, they had done so much for me. Mm-hmm. If that's the only thing my dad wanted, I basically went to the band and said, "Guys, I I gotta quit. Uh, wow. You go for it." And and they and after after I get my degree, I'd love to come back. And said, "Well, no. By that time, we're gonna be big, and it'll be too late for you." I said, "You're <laughs> <Yeah>. probably right. <laughs> right, right. You're probably right." Well, it didn't happen that way. I got my degree, and. Uh, I went to dad and I said, okay, I got my degree. I'm going to go sing. He says, you do what you want. <laughs> you you do whatever you want. You got your degree. That's all you need. I said, okay. And I thought, you know, I thought it'd last for two or three years at most. And right. little by did I know that music was going to be part of my life for the rest of my life. Right. So you joined Head East. Tell me how that, how that came about. Because you guys left a mark. I mean, obviously the band's still going, still touring, still making music. But you mm-hmm. guys really kind of out of the shoot with Flat as a Pancake. You guys made some noise and got some got some traction. Tell us how you got started with those guys. Well, they were a different band at the time. They had amazing structure. They had a great guitar player, bass player, drummer, keyboard player. All of them, or several of them, could sing really good. Mm-hmm. And their lead singer, the one that's supposed to sing high, was probably the weak point in the band. A great guy, but just not really as strong as everyone else. Yeah. And I looked at the band. I said, they have everything they need to make it except me. And um, and I'm not necessarily that arrogant all the time, but I saw it. I mean, I saw, I saw that the combination of them and me would make it. We'd have everything they need, what's needed. So I went to them and told them that. And uh, the leader is even more arrogant than I am. So he says, <laughs> oh, Really? <laughs> so oh I went with them at, at a, the gig in between my freshman and sophomore year that summer in college. And um, I showed them what I had. And the guys go, well, he does have a good voice. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah um, and he, he blends with us really well. And I'm, I'm thinking, you guys, you admit it. Come on. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, man, that summer, we went from a sock hop man to one of the major uh, college bar bands in that part of the country. Wow. And I mean, that in, in the hierarchy of music and bands back then, that was like taking a major step. If you were doing yeah. college bars, you were a pretty major band at the time, especially with the way we were touring. And so I, I tried to go to college my sophomore year and be in the band and my second semester, I was on double probation, and I said, 
okay, guys, I I can't flunk out of school. Right, right. So they said, my well, dad will kill they, me. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. And that's when they said, well, it, it'll be too late for you. I said, okay, well, that's how it's going to be. And I joined, but I did join them the minute I took my last final exam. And it took us about six months to really get back into what we had before. Mm-hmm. Everyone else came back together, the four that I started with, except the guitar player. And he actually became a Christian and wouldn't touch us with a 10-foot pole. Really? But the guitar player that we got was the one that wrote the two biggest hits on Flaz of Pancake, which was Never Been Any Reason and Love Me Tonight. And Mike was a very, very unique guitar player. His style was very unique, and it made it a very special sound for the band. So it was like the final, the final package that created the band that was Head East. And uh, man, we oh, when we and we did our own record. Flaz Pancake was done on a budget of thirteen thousand dollars, and that included two thousand copies of the first record and uh, eighty eight hundred uh, eight tracks. <laughs> wow! <laughs> and but but it is now considered a classic. Oh yeah, and. Uh, Apparently it went platinum, but I don't have that record on my wall yet. So I gotta Ooh. I gotta make sure for sure. I don't know that I came across that little bit of information in my research. So that's really interesting. I it's so it's well, so it, funny. If it's be... not if, if it's not, I'm caught up. I've got my gold record, I'm happy yeah. with that. And uh but you know, it, it never any reason gets played all the time. Oh over. yeah. It's a classic. And uh yeah. It was nice to be part of a classic, you know? Yeah. I I first heard of Head East, you know, as I mentioned, growing up in LA, there were a couple of uh, morning, uh, there's a morning show on the rock station there. This, these guys, Mark and Brian, and, and they were, they were from Alabama and they were huge Head East fans. So <laughs> it was interesting. I heard about them and then I really, I'm like, wait a second. Cause by then I was a Christian. I was, you know, 18, 19, I became a Christian. When I was 15, mm-hmm. was a huge Petra fan. And then when I realized that you were their previous singer, I was like, wait a second. Like it kind of rocked my world. I'm like, this is kind of weird because I didn't really know. But yeah, I mean, uh, you're, you know, that first album really blew up. And of course, as you mentioned, never been any reason really just just took off for you guys. I think my my favorite track on that album is, is City of Gold. I, that's um, always, always been a favorite of mine. It's a really, really good song, but you're right. And I can hear obviously other vocalists. I'm like, that's not John singing. I don't, I don't know who that guy is. Oh, there's John. So it's kind of interesting. It was, uh, the band had two major singers, Mm -hmm. the drummer who was Steve, uh, Steve Houston could sing all the low parts, uh, real great texture, really, really good. But then I handled all the high parts in the studio. Mm -hmm. And then our keyboard player, Roger could always, manage the, the the highs live yeah and then the other two guys could also sing so we were you know we we were a vocal rock band when i mean rock we're, we're from the midwest we yeah. rocked you rocked but Absolutely. the uniqueness of it was we were also singers so mm-hmm. that helped yeah absolutely so where where in this mix did you meet dorla oh she's my hometown sweetheart from the word go oh, okay I, I i was going with with her right after I learned how to play guitar. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, we've nice. been going together for like 57 years. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so I don't know if you've ever been asked this publicly, but how, how did you propose to her? Oh, boy. Um, 
Well, I surprised her with the ring. I had sort of already, it was sort of like we'd been, go, been going together for so long. Yeah. It was just sort of understood we were going to get married. Mm-hmm. Probably the m- biggest major story of that would be when I asked her dad for her oh, hand. Mm-hmm. And his, the longest, long of the short, or the short of the long story is he said, you're a good boy, Johnny boy, but not good enough, and walked off. Ouch. And I I tell you what, that's not what I count on him saying. So no, <laughs> that was. And but after her mom had a private talk with him in the bedroom, he came out and apparently understood that we were getting married. And uh, I don't think he liked the fact that I I was playing guitar and yeah, I tried my best to be the son-in-law he wanted. Well, he saw that I was successful in my endeavors, and that was yeah. good. Good. Well, that's but, awesome. Yeah. So you were in, in Hedy's for, what, about 11 years or so? No, no, no. Actually, uh, uh, well, I started in 69. You're right. It is 11. But um, I quit for three years. Okay. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Started in 69, quit till 72, mm-hmm. rejoined the band when I graduated, and oh. was part of the band up till uh, uh, beginning of 1980. Gotcha. And you have been, you know, re- really open about, you know, kind of the trappings of rock and roll back then that you got caught up in with substance abuse mm-hmm. a little bit and alcoholism. And, and you know, that kind of sent your world crashing a little bit. You were married already, I believe. So can I just walk us through sure. what it was like maybe when, when you hit bottom, when you realized I, I, I can't do this anymore? What, what was that moment like for you? And, and I asked that as somebody who comes from uh, being raised in an alcoholic uh, home. And my dad was an alcoholic. So I understand this very personally. Um, what was that like for you when you, when you hit that point where you're like, this can't continue. I, something's got to change. Well, um, I started out just wanting to play good music. I just wanted people to have a great time. <laughs> Wasn't going to do any drugs or uh, was never an alcoholic, didn't really like it that much. So it was, I I was a bartender in college wow. and didn't drink that much. I saw drunks, so it wasn't like uh, I was that excited about it. But when I joined the band and we were successful, you know, when our first record went out and uh, went nationwide, it was an explosion for us. It was a it was a musician's dream. It really was. Right. I mean, we played in some of the biggest shows all over the country for years. We just constantly touring. Uh, yeah. Well, by this time, I have a wife and two kids, mm-hmm. and I'm never home. And I call my wife and uh, uh, say, "Well, we're this this tour is just about done. We, I should be home in a couple of days." Then we get a call from a booking agent and say, "Oh, hey." Got you on the next tour. It's amazing. It's with so and so, which was the hottest thing happened at the time. And we had another three weeks, you know. So I'd have to say to my wife, "Oh, incidentally, I'm not going to be home for another three weeks. Forget mm-hmm. that two days thing." And so I'm feeling like guard. I really, yeah. I I wasn't feeling that great about it. So what do I do? Drink. Mm-hmm. And backstage in the secular world back then, it was pretty much beer was water. Yeah, and. Right. I mean, it's not like you had beer, what, what, you didn't have water bottles hanging around. You had beer bottles and right. we had plenty of it. So I started drinking beer, uh, actually to lubricate my throat, but also to sort of drown my sorrows a little bit. Mm-hmm. 
And then I discovered cocaine, which sobered me up instantly. And it was like, I've got the perfect combination now. I can drink as much as I want. I do coke and I can function. It just, and, but I didn't realize how uh, addicted I would be to coke. Mm -hmm. And so meanwhile, my, my family's at home. I'm being a rock star with all the trimmings, being a piece of garbage mm -hmm. and um, just hating myself and more and more. Yeah. And when 1980 came around, uh, I guess the guys in the band tell me that I really had lost. It was hurting my, my performance. I have a hard time with believing that because I would never let down the crowd. But if that was the case, that's fine. Well, they fired me in 1980. Wow. And when that happened, I said, you can't fire me. I'm the star. And that's mm -hmm. most singers' attitudes, you know, what can I say? Right, right. And so I started my own band called the Johnny Band. Yeah. But really all that was was an excuse for me to stay drunk or high the, for six months straight. I mean, 24 hours a day. Yeah. And it was the low point in my life. Mm. But what's funny, during that same low point, my wife gets saved. Mm. Now, for me, that's even worse. Right. Because I don't want a Christian wife telling me about Jesus while I'm feeling sorry for myself, right. getting plowed right. and high all day long. And I'd make a mistake every once in a while. I'd say, what world are you living in that you're so happy? And she'd go, I'm glad you asked. And she started to tell me, I said, I, I don't want to hear about this Jesus. Uh, yeah. I'll be a Christian when I'm too old to have any fun. And, you know, <laughs> if that kind of attitude. And yeah. so, so at the end of that six months, um, I was ready for a change, but it wasn't a positive change. Yeah. I woke up after missing our anniversary party. On the couch, I got totally blitzed, couldn't find any Coke, so I couldn't sober up. Passed out on the couch, missed our party. And I woke up with my one-year-old son looking at me. Oh. So with a look on his face of, why are you here? Why are you on the couch, Dad? You know, I was in the living room. And a voice, I, I'm telling you, a voice said, you know what? You're worth more dead than alive. Wow. And all of a sudden... It totally made sense to me. I, I mean, it was like, yeah, that's a great idea. So I sat in my chair watching my five-year-old daughter and one-year-old son playing in the living room. I said, well, I'm not going to use a gun. It's too messy. So I started thinking about what kind of uh, combination of pills would be as quick and painless as possible. Mm -hmm. My wife taps me on the shoulder and says, you know, you promised you'd tell me to talk to my pastor tonight. I said, when? She says, last night when you were drunk. And I said, you know what? Okay, fine. It was like I was checking off all the the squares for the end of things coming. And I said, okay, I'll come talk to your pastor so she could remember I tried. Right. Wow. But I went in there to that pastor's house and came out with the Holy Spirit. Came in wow. with an attitude, walked out with the Holy Spirit, and my life changed. And, you know, it sounds, was that simple? In a roundabout way, it was. I mean, I just walked in absolutely not willing to make any changes, not seeing any possibilities. And mm -hmm. I guess God was ready to uh, cut through, and he did. And uh, That's amazing, John. That that was the, the beginning of a new life for me. Do you remember 
what it was that penetrated. Obviously, it's it's God's spirit, you know, that gives us ears to hear that helps the gospel to make sense. But do you remember that moment? You're like, yeah, I I need Christ. Um, well, the pastor looked at me and says, basically said, uh, do you know Jesus? Yeah, I'm a I, I'm an American. I go to church twice a year. Sure, I know I know who he is. He's no, no. You don't know the Jesus that loves you. You know the Jesus that has a plan for your life. You know the Jesus that knows exactly what you're planning right now. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I'm like, I'm like, whoa! I, I won't say I was shaken, but it was close enough. Yeah. And looked at me. So you want to know Jesus? And I just shook my head, yes. Wow. And when I did. It was like, I, I, I was, I guess I was sort of shaken. I, I, I don't know if it was like apparent, but it was like inside I'm going, whoa, what's going on? It says, okay, you want to know Jesus? Say this prayer. And I did. I, I said the sinner's prayer. When I said the sinner's prayer, it was like a weight lifted off of me wow. that I didn't even know existed. And as I got to be a, a you know, got past the baby Christian stage, I realized that basically that was the guilt, the but really more the guilt of what I'd been doing for ten, you know, for the seven years in the band. Uh, it wasn't a godly performance. It it right. it wasn't godly. And so deep down, I think I I, I just wanted forgiveness. Yeah. yeah, and God did through His blood. And I realized that I had a second chance and uh, went out that night and started over. That's really amazing. Well, it's, it's an interesting choice of words, Shaken, because obviously you, you have an album by that same title. So that's kind of interesting how that's kind of <laughs> carried through a little bit. So this is about 1980. It wouldn't, wouldn't be till 85, 86 till you would join mm -hmm. Petra. So in yep. those, in that, intervening time kind of in your inner testimonial time so to speak what what were you doing were you in church were you being discipled were you growing you were sobered up like what what was that period like before you joined petra well um okay i got saved and it's funny you say sobered up the miracle first miracle that happened to me was the cocaine left wow. was i tempted soon after absolutely when of course when i gave up coke there's more temptation. And I fell two or three times. I want you to know. I wish I could say I was cleansed, never touched again. Sure. No, I was cleansed. And then we threw more temptation in front of my face. And I realized how weak I was. But it, I would go to my church and they pray for me. And I realized, okay, start over again. Start right. over again. And so, but I couldn't give up beer. I mean, they prayed over me and prayed over me. I couldn't give up beer. And finally, Pat says, you know what? You're going to give it up in God's timing. I said, okay, fine. That's great. That sounds like a good deal. <laughs> right, and yeah. so, you know, my church was like 11 miles away. And I would buy a six-pack of beer with my family in tow. I drank three beers going to church and three beers coming back. Wow. And that went on for like, oh, months. <laughs> well, maybe, I, I don't, maybe it wasn't months. Maybe it felt yeah. like months to me. But, right, right. But as time went on, the church was there going, yep, smells like a brew. You must be drinking. Okay, let's pray for John. And one day I was looking at my refrigerator and I had a six pack of Michelob in the back. Mm -hmm. And I realized it had been there for like 
two, three weeks. And I go, I said, babe, my, 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 my wife's adorable, but I call her babe. Yeah. I said, babe, I haven't drank a beer in three weeks. She goes, I know, oh. I know. And again, the reason I tell that story is because I want folks to realize that to be a Christian is not giving up all your fun. Mm -hmm. It's God allowing you not to destroy your life and you don't want it anymore, you right. know? And for me, you know, people, you're going to be social drinkers all day long. And it's fine. I'm not one of them. Right. And God knew that. And that's what the enemy was using against me. And so God said, no, John, don't drink anymore. And so praise God. Yeah. It was one of those uh, uh, things where he had almost intervened directly to uh, knock this hard head uh, straight. <laughs> yeah. So then you get this call from Bob Hartman. I mean, this is obviously years go by. You're continuing to grow in the Lord and in his strength and in your faith. And uh, you get this call from Bob. Had you even heard of Petra at this oh, point? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. About two years into my walk, somebody handed me a Petra record and said, this sounds just like your old man, but Christian. I said, yeah, right. I hadn't listened to music for two years because I couldn't listen to mainstream because it just brought back memories. It just sure. was... It wasn't it was a smart thing. Yeah, the Christian stuff that I that was passed my way was all boring. Yeah, I just it just boring. I get it was not my style. Right. So when I got a Petra record, it was like it's probably the first music I got music I'd heard in like six months. Wow. Go, oh my gosh, this band is amazing. I mean, this this is what rock and roll can be. And it's funny. I think it was worse wider than I'm, and that's not a heavy duty rock. No, but, but vocally, I could see exactly. there are some connections there exactly. between you and Hedy Eastay. Yeah, yeah. The vocal, the vocal in it was like, oh, this sounds fantastic. So, but at the same time, I was bummed out because I thought that this could have been what I could have used my voice for, but it's too late for me. Because oh, wow. remember, I'm two years in the Lord. I'm still sort of a baby. Right. Yeah. And the fact sure. that the blood of Christ was shed for me for all since. Mm -hmm. And at that time, I still felt that, man, after what I'd done with Head East, the things I said, the things I'd done, I, I, there's no way God can use me. I'm too dirty. Yeah. And right. the reason I mentioned that is because as time went on, there was a spot, and I can't tell you exactly when, but I was thinking, yeah, you're just, John, you're just too dirty. It was probably uh, having to do with Petra <laughs> or some Christian rock band. And, um, I think, well, I can't do that because I'm, and it was like God, once again, in his, in his amazing voice said, okay, John, what sin was it that's greater than the blood of God? Wow. And I, I'm going, oh my God. And I, I just, I'm serious. I, I'm not a guy who gets on his knees much, but it, it just, it just freaked me out. Yeah. And I go, oh my gosh. And I felt, I felt bad because my arrogance had kept me away from the truth and the sacrifice of Christ. Wow. And, and it was like, I was, I was excited. I was disappointed. I was disgusted because of the way I handled things, excited with the fact that the truth has finally dived in. And what's funny is if Bob had called me before that, I may have said, no, I can't. I'm just too dirty. Yeah. Now he may have talked to me about it, but uh, mm -hmm. but when he called me and said, uh, "Do you consider singing for Petra?" I said, 
yeah, let's do it. <laughs> and he basically said, well, don't you think you should pray about it? I thought, oh, yeah. But I knew. I knew yeah. it was time. So did he call you at home? Like, what What was that like? This, hey, this is Bob Hartman. Like, kind of walk us through that. Because, you know, we don't, we don't really hear about this stuff. When I left music, as the enemy will do, a bunch of temptations came my way with mm-hmm. what I call super bands. Yeah. Where you take parts of different bands that had made it, like a guitar player from this band, a keyboard mm-hmm. player from that band. You know, where they had disagreements with the main band. And these managers would put them all together and say, okay, we got, well, sort of like damn Yankees, you know, right. it was uh, absolutely. Yeah. And so, um, this guy from Detroit called me and says, I've got so-and-so and so-and-so. So all we need is you. Hmm. And I had just left music and said, okay, I can't do mainstream music anymore. Right. And so I finally said, no, but it was major temptation. And then somebody else called me for the same, not, it was a different, com, com, uh, you know, combination. And I said, no, I can't do it. And it was like really tempting. So I disconnected my phone. Wow. I said, I, I can't, I'm not going to allow this to happen. So mm-hmm. I disconnected my phone, got an unlisted number and basically disappeared off the, <laughs> off the face of America. Yeah. And, and that was that way for five years. And when, Someone mentioned me when, when Greg was leaving, someone mentioned me saying, you know, he'd be a good replacement. And Bob goes, yeah, but, you know, he's disappeared. And But then he goes, started thinking, you know, he is a good, that would be a good option. So he started hunting. Oh. And he knew I lived in Illinois. And he started going to every area code in Illinois, looking looking for uh, asking information if they had me wow. or I think he went through everyone realized I wasn't registered to anyone, but then he looked on the back of flat as a pancake, which was our first record and saw my brother's name. So he went back again and uh, uh, went to his area code and got a hold of my brother, Jeff, my youngest and said, Hey, uh, are you John Schlitz brother? He said, yeah. He goes, well, I'm Bob Hartman. I'm a man called Petri. And he goes, Jeff goes, well, he's not music anymore. And Bob goes, well, he might want to, you know, I'm, we're part of a Christian man. He might want to talk to me. He said, well, I don't know. He's, he's been, he hasn't sang for five. You know, it's basically, yeah. he was basically fluffing Bob off. Oh, and wow, Bob says, yeah. could, could you give him, could you take my number and give it to him? I'd really like to talk to him. If he wants to talk to him, he can call me. Yeah. And he said, well, okay, send me your number and I'll, I'll uh, or email me your number. He said, no, I'd like to give it to you. Could you contact him today? And Jeff finally goes, okay, fine. So he called me up and said, you know Bob Hartman? I said, yeah, I know Bob Hartman. He goes, oh, well, he wants to talk to you. I said, you've got to be kidding me. So Bob's testimony is like after he gave Jeff his number, 20 minutes later I'm talking to him, which is probably about right. Because yeah, yeah. I called Bob up right away and said, uh, I thought maybe Greg had blown his throat and they needed mm-hmm. somebody that sort of sounds like him to do all the background vocals, and finish yeah. it all, finish mm-hmm. the next record. So, but I was excited about that, being able to go into the studio again, yeah, you know, with a sure. real band. And so uh, I'm waiting for the uh, the invitation to go into the studio and, and sing background vocal, you know. Just, uh, 
Well, Greg's leaving, and we want, we want to know if you consider being the lead singer for Petra. Wow. <laughs> I don't know if I said you got to be kidding me, but that's what I was thinking. Yeah. And that's when I said, yeah, let's do it. And again, the band was more concerned. It was just too easy for them. So later on, they came up and, and interviewed me and my family, and they were trying to figure out what was the catch. Right. This is just too easy. Huh. Because I'd gone down there and done some demos, and and they realized, man, we we're not going to skip a beat. And yeah. he's more rock, and that's what we want anyway. So right. it was like uh, they were pretty excited, but they figured something's got it. This is too easy. Yeah. The enemy's playing tricks on us. It's got to be. So they went up and interviewed us, and uh, and basically, again, a long story short, the first show I sang was in Brisbane, Australia, on my birthday, February third, nineteen eighty six. Wow. That's amazing. What what was it like for you? Because for you, taking the stage when you were with Head East meant mm -hmm. something very different. Oh, gosh. Mentally, you, your state of mind, the condition of your heart, your mm -hmm. spiritual journey. And here you are taking the stage with mm -hmm. a group of Christians. Mm -hmm. And what, what was that like for you to walk up there at that moment? Well, there was a plus and minus to it. I was so thankful because I had prayed to God before. Give me a, give me a chance to, or I, I don't know if I'd say I'd give me a second chance because like I said, I just figured I was just too dirty. I, mm -hmm. But um, I would really like a chance to go make up for all the garbage I did in the, in the secular band. Now, please understand, I never treated the audience bad in Hades. I loved sure. them. I wanted I'm them sure. to always know that, I wanted them to have a great time, mm -hmm. but it was about me. It was about, you know, it, I was a lead singer. I was an arrogant character and I wanted people to have fun, but I wanted them to think I was cool. Right. Right. And to be cool as a lead singer for, for a rock band, you got to use every four letter word you can think of. And it, it just wasn't a clean life I was living. So when I got a chance to be part of Petra, it was like, thank you, Jesus, for giving me a second chance. And I ended up playing every, probably every location that Hedy's played. I played in that same location, usually for bigger crowds and was able to say, I have had, I've seen a new dip. And for me, that was a testimony going, I was this, now I'm this. This is what I'm singing about now. And it was, I was saying, thank you, Jesus, for allowing me to use my voice for something that's life changing. And so I had a major yo attitude change. Oh, absolutely. But I also, it when I sang in Brisbane, it was the first time I had sang sober on stage in seven years. So that was different. But I was so excited and hadn't sang for five years that I was blowing my throat out after three songs. I mean, I was screaming my, I'd forgotten all about how, you you know, be be smart, you know, don't use it all up. And I was, and so the band, God bless them, they had to go through some terrible times in the first couple of months that we, we started the band over again. Because I just, oh, it was, we had to get the right sound, man. I, it just, you have to hear right. I had to work with the sound, man, all that stuff. And they stuck with me through all that thick and thin. It was a, a they're godly dudes. And because of that, I'm still able to be part of the Christian music scene now. So you are 
playing in some of the same venues, same stages, same green rooms that you mm-hmm. played with with Head East. Yeah, that amen. must have been in that must have been kind of surreal. It was it was oh it was it was a god thing. It was yeah. it was I couldn't be more thankful. Yeah. I, I was like, God, you are so cool. Thank you so much for allowing me to do this and use my voice for a positive. And I, I love being a front man for a great man. Mm-hmm. It, it's one of those, it's one of those things that it's hard to explain. Yeah. God created me the way he created me. He gave me the voice he gave me. And the things I find joy in are, you know, epitomized being, being a front man for a great man. Yeah. And so hmm. for him to allow me to do that, I was always, uh, God, thank you. And help me not to let you down. Yeah. So, you know, this makes me think of John, just hearing you express your gratitude. That first time I saw you guys on the back to the, back to the streets tour, this beautiful outdoor venue on the cliffs overlooking the ocean that night, it's a beautiful night, beautiful summer mm-hmm. night. And I can, st- I could actually still picture this like it was yesterday. You're at the top of the ramp in the middle of the stage and the stage is quiet and you are looking up and you guys start singing thankful heart. I have a thankful heart that you have given me and it can only come from you. There is no way You felt it that night. It was so apparent that when you were saying, I have a thankful heart that you have given me and it can only come from you. That song must be very, very personal for you. That song and prayer. First, I want to thank you, Lord, for being mm-hmm. who you are, coming to the rescue of men who drifted far. Yeah. I'm sorry. I, I claim that as mine. Yeah. And I have a thankful heart that you have given me, and it can only come from you. Beautiful. You, I mean, that should be that should be every Christian's theme song. Mm-hmm. But for me to be able to sing it on a record that I'm part of or a yeah. CD that I'm part of is, yeah, it it's one of those rare things where I'm a very blessed person. Yeah. It was, it was such a beautiful moment that, what is it, 35, 36, seven years later, that moment still stands out to me seeing you Praise start God. that song. That's beautiful. We are going to pause part one of our conversation with John Schlitt right there. There is much ground that we cover in part two, and I hope you tune in for that. We're going to dig into some of Petra's greatest albums, including This Means War, Petra Praise Beyond Belief, and others. We're going to get into a move that a label executive feared might have put the members of Petra in danger. And we're going to talk about what led to Petra packing up their instruments and turning off the lights for a while. 
John and I are going to be talking about his great solo career, and we're going to play a song from his latest solo album. And of course, we're going to be talking about Petra's 50th anniversary mini tour. If you're a Petra fan, you do not want to miss What Lies Ahead. Part 2 will drop on Monday, July 3rd, 2023. And share this episode with a friend, with the Petra fan in your life. So keep your bags packed and join us on our next journey to the stage. And that is a wrap.